2: Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always is a man who has learned the magical, medicinal powers of the sea. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the Uh, Cat. Yeah,
0: and I live in a pineapple. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend.
2: This week we are very excited to be featuring a great beer from our friends at Fat Bottom Brewing Company in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. Fat Bottom is the official craft beer partner of the MLS's Nashville Soccer Club. And everyone should try this wonderful session IPA from Fat Bottom called Breakaway Session IPA. Breakaway has amazing fruit aromas and citrus Forward hops and a little punch as well in this easy drinking IPA. Garage grade four and a quarter bottle caps out of five. And here's some praise and thank you that goes out to our friends for helping us out with this week's beer run. First up, a cheers to Joshua in Mount Eaton, Ohio.
0: And a big we like you jib to Ashley in Hamilton, Ohio.
2: Next up, here's a big Ron Swanson please and thank you that goes out to Ma Atta and Shawnee Kansas.
0: And a big shout out to Lauren in Warwick,
2: New York. Next up here's a cheers to Kevin in Indian Head, Maryland and last but certainly not least we have Daniel in Essexville, Michigan. Everyone we just mentioned, they went to our website truecrimegarage.com and helped us out with this week's beer fund.
0: Yeah, B W W R U N Beer Run. If you need more True Crime Garage for your earballs and we know you do cuz your balls are sweaty, uh you need to go over to truecrimegarage.com and click on the the off-the-record link. It's our bonus show. It's on Stitcher Premium, and you'll love it, guaranteed. It's Oprah's favorite show. It's Jason Siegel's favorite show. It's, It's Ted Lasso's favorite show. You'll enjoy it. Check that out. Thanks for the support. And that is enough of the business.
2: All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
1: three, we started seeing a marked increase in the number of bodies recovered along the side of the road, and as we started digging into it more and more, we started noticing within our database a number of bodies along the side of the road, victims kept coming up as prostitutes, specifically truck stop prostitutes, and one after another, our main suspects or confirmed offenders were identified as truck drivers. And so putting those pieces together, we started to say something's going on. We have an inordinate number of victims and offenders from this rather specific pool of the population. So what's going on here? What are we missing? And this is not to say that every truck driver is a serial killer, obviously, um, but when we see them come up, when we know that we've identified one as a subject. They're extremely difficult to track down and the mobility of their occupation allows them access to so many different areas of victim selection and then victim release locations. So we've developed this initiative to try to focus in on these cases to help those agencies who are investigating these types of cases. that don't know where to turn, that don't have the information or know what information they should even be requesting, to try to track these guys down. And then once they've been identified, to then tie them to similar cases nationwide. And that's where VICAP really comes in, is because it's a database of these similar types of cases, we can use things like the offender's MO like building a timeline on the subject and being able to place them in the location of a similar case to tie them back to additional cases.
2: You heard it right there. That is the voice of a great woman, an incredible crime fighter, who we have talked about so much recently on this greatest of true crime shows. Greatest, of course. That is if you prefer a little hint of garage in your crime reporting. Turns out most do. That there at the start of our true crime talk in today's trailer was the voice of Christine Palazzolo an FBI crime analyst who worked on the Highway Serial Killer Initiative and, of course, was so instrumental in the identifying serial killer Sam Little and his victims, a case and serial killer that we profiled here three weeks ago in the garage in a three-part series starting with episode 585 titled Sam Little, the Killer of Women. Back to Christine Palazzolo. I think that someone should build a statue of this woman for all of her brilliant and hard work that she has done over the years. Saving lives, no doubt.
0: I'll start making one out of mashed potatoes.
2: And helping to find justice for some victims when justice looked to be so doubtful. That is Agent Palazzolo dropping us some knowledge about the FBI's Highway Serial Killer Initiative and VICAP, which our listeners know stands for the Violent Criminal Apprehension Program. Now, we are going to start off today talking about a young woman named Tammy Joe Zawicki, who unfortunately could possibly fit into both of those categories concerning the FBI, the Highway Serial Killer Initiative, and VICAP. And this is such a scary and sad story. Tammy Joe Zawicki was a wonderful, very intelligent, bright, enthusiastic young woman. Now, if anyone wants to look Tammy up, you can find her on the FBI's website, fbi.gov. Tammy can be found under the Seeking Information category. There they have listed reward information as well, which says the FBI is offering a reward of up to $50,000 in this case. And listen carefully, because this case is incredibly solvable. So listen carefully, because as our friend Robert Stack said, maybe you can help solve a mystery. We will start this true crime story off with a paragraph from Ron Arians' masterful article from People Magazine that he wrote on this case titled, The Long Road Back. Ron's article came out on August 23rd of 1993. This was one year after the crime and starts off by citing some statistics. Just keep in mind, these statistics are from 1993. And the article starts off, Statistics and crime reporting tell us much about murder in the U.S. We know that on average, 20,000 Americans are killed every year. And we often learn how they were murdered and why. Far less visible, however, are the repercussions of those homicides. The pain that a victim's family and friends must live with in the months and years after. This is the story of one such crime the killing of a 21-year-old college student on or shortly after August 23, 1992, and how it challenged and changed the lives of her family, classmates, and community over the following 12 months. As in any investigation, Captain, the timeline is always extremely important, so let's dive right into the timeline and A shout out here to the good folks over at Uncovered.com who have one of the most comprehensive timelines for Tammy's case.
0: Our timeline is going to start in August 21st, 1992.
2: August 21st was a Friday that year. Now we already said that Tammy was quite intelligent, but she was rather driven as well. In fact, Tammy is a double major in art history and Spanish, and she has recently returned from studying abroad in Madrid. Good for her, Captain. I think if I ever get the opportunity to go to Madrid, I don't think that I'm coming back. Nor would you study. But Tammy is back, and she's getting ready to start her senior year at Grinnell College, which is a private school located in Grinnell, Iowa, home of the Fighting Squirrels. As said, she studied in Spain during the spring semester of her junior year. Then Tammy spent the summer living at home with her parents and working at a video store this in New Jersey. On Friday, August 21st, Tammy and her younger brother, Darren, are leaving from their parents' home in New Jersey. It's my understanding that they moved there the year before when their father, Dan, was transferred. Tammy grew up most of her younger years in Greenville, South Carolina. So they're heading from New Jersey to Pittsburgh. This is because Tammy's parents. They're already in Pittsburgh. They're visiting either family or friends, and Tammy and Darren will be stopping there and staying the night. Darren is 19 years old, and he's attending Northwestern University. The plan? Tammy and Darren will stay the night in Pittsburgh with their parents. From there, they will drive about seven and a half hours to Northwestern University to get Darren to campus. Tammy will stay one night there. With a friend of hers at Northwestern. And then Tammy will continue on. Traveling solo from Northwestern University to Grinnell College. So Sammy will travel the 295 miles from Northwestern to Grinnell by herself. This is roughly a four and a half to five and a half hour drive depending on route.
0: And anybody that's done any traveling knows that's two long days of travel.
2: So everything starts off according to plan. Tammy and Darren arrive in Pittsburgh. They stay the night there. On Saturday, August 22nd, Tammy and Darren make the long trip from Pittsburgh to Evanston, Illinois, home of Northwestern University. Now, this leg of the trip was not only the longest part of the drive, but this is where they start to run into some car trouble. Tammy is driving a white 1985 Pontiac T-1000 four-door hatchback. Darren would later say that they had to stop a couple of times because the engine was stalled.
0: The T-1000 model sounds like a Terminator model.
2: From the Long Road Back article, Darren explains, quote, the engine would just decelerate. The oil light would flicker. And then when you'd pull over, the engine would shut off. After the next two stalls, I added oil and water and it ran fine. Once in Evanston, Tammy drops Darren off and then she stays the night with her friend. This brings us to Sunday, August 23rd. Before Tammy left, Darren says he checked everything on the Pontiac and told Tammy if the car started doing what it had done the day before to just stop somewhere like at a rest area and wait until the evening when it was cooler and then continue to drive. So it sounds to me, Captain, like the car was mostly overheating, sounds to me to be the problem, and this being August as well.
0: Well, just because we're in the garage doesn't mean we're mechanics.
2: Tammy left Evanston, Illinois, heading west to Grinnell. Tammy made it past Chicago, heading toward Interstate 80. At about 5.05 p.m. that Sunday, about four hours after she had said goodbye to her brother, an Illinois state police officer spotted a white 1985 Pontiac parked on the westbound shoulder of I-80. This is five miles east of LaSalle, located next to mile marker 83. The locked car was tagged as an abandoned vehicle. Now, not until 2 p.m. the next day, which would be Monday, the vehicle would be towed away, and not until 7 p.m., Would the owner be identified of this abandoned vehicle?
0: All right, but we need to fill in some of the gaps here.
2: Yes, Captain. So we have Tammy. She leaves her friend's home around lunchtime that day. Now, at approximately 3 to 4 p.m., witnesses would later report seeing Tammy pulled over on the shoulder of Interstate 80. This is, as said, next to mile marker 83, the exit for Utica. So unfortunately, she doesn't make it very far before she runs into what we can presume was additional car trouble. Right. Depending on what route one would take, you are looking at a four and a half to five and a half hour drive from Northwestern to Grinnell College. Tammy only made it about an hour and 40 minutes to about two hours of drive time. Her route is a little curious to me. I would have taken 88 until it picks up Interstate 80, so she's a little further south than what I would have expected, but it is still en route to Grinnell. Now, here's where things get a little messy. Police say, according to eyewitness statements, they have about 20 different vehicle types that supposedly stopped to help Tammy, but... One in particular stood out to law enforcement. That was a semi-truck or a tractor-trailer. Before we get back to the article, it is important to note that Tammy's friends at Grinnell College often just called her Z. On Monday, August 24th, now this is back at home in New Jersey, her parents, the Zawickies, had expected Tammy to make her usual check-in call when she arrived at Grinnell. When she didn't telephone on Sunday evening, it turns out neither parent was overly concerned. They said, quote, we thought she had probably met up with friends and it got too late to call. This is Tammy's mother saying this. Her name is Joanne. But by Monday morning, when they still hadn't heard from Tammy, they began to worry. And we have her father, Hank, says, by then we knew something was wrong. It just wasn't like her not to check in with us.
0: You were stating that there was problems with the car before. And, hey, if I just add a little bit of water, I add a little oil, it fixes the problem. It could be the reason why her driving plan is a little different than what you would have taken because there could have been some issue going on with the car that she tried to you know, make a stop to fix, got back on the freeway, and, and then, then the car stopped working.
2: And not only that, the, the reason for to, to go kind of into panic mode here for the Zwickys would be not only the, the concern that she didn't call Sunday night, she still hasn't called Monday morning, but by now you've likely spoken to Darren, your son, who has told you, yeah, we ran into some car trouble from between Pittsburgh and Northwestern and I told her what to do. The car checked out and looked to be fine when she left. But now, you know, hey, my 21-year-old daughter is driving solo by herself for five and a half hours, roughly, in a vehicle that is not in tip-top shape. Right. So Tammy's mother, Joanne, she repeatedly called Tammy's friends at Grinnell, wondering if anybody had seen her. And, of course, nobody is reporting that they had in fact, somebody wrote on the message board, which was located just outside of Tammy's dorm room, and wrote, Z, where have you been? Your mom's having a cow. So everybody was expecting her to show up at some point. Unfortunately, that doesn't end up being the case.
0: Well, I feel bad for her mom because would hurt really bad to have a cow. But a couple things. One, when your vehicle is not driving correctly, you're more likely to get into an accident So you have that to think about. Or if she pulls over on the side of the road, she could get hit by a moving vehicle. Um, People drive like yahoos. And then you have the other possibility that if she breaks down in a bad location that she's met with the wrong crowd or somebody with nefarious thoughts stops to help her instead of somebody uh, being a good Samaritan. So a lot of possibilities of, of putting yourself in a bad position.
2: So now we have both parents that are extremely worried. Joanne asked Grinnell police to look for Tammy's car, then began calling Iowa and Illinois state police. It was only after their daughter's hatchback had been towed and a description logged on a computer that the Zwickys learned of its location. Now, keep in mind, this is, we've already pointed out, this is going to be later on Monday once this vehicle is towed. So Hank, when he finds out this new information, her father, he immediately filed a missing persons report with the Illinois police because that's where the vehicle was found in the state of Illinois. He described his daughter in the report as five foot, two inches tall, 120 pounds, blonde with green eyes and long blonde hair. Now he later added that she was probably wearing turquoise shell wire rim glasses and had her hair in a ponytail. And when last seen by her brother, she was wearing a white t-shirt, dark shorts, and gray running shoes. She also had a fabric friendship necklace and a green watch that played raindrops keep falling on my head. It's also reported in the report that she was carrying about $150 in cash credit cards, a leather handbag, extra clothing, and a box and several cameras. Now, in Illinois, the state police, they scoured the interstate, uh, the I-80 site where Tammy's car was found, eventually using metal detectors, search dogs, and a helicopter. The car, which this is really disappointing to hear, she's missing we can believe that it's due to her car trouble but when police find it and they say that it started up without any problem after being towed
0: but like you stated earlier it sounds like the car possibly was overheating so when she pulls over on the side of the road the car cools down when they try to start it back up it starts up fine
2: yeah you just got to chill out for a little bit there so it says in it's reported that they checked the vehicle for fingerprints The problem with putting that item right here in our timeline is I don't think that it fits right here in the timeline. I know for a fact that they checked the vehicle for fingerprints. However, this was done days later. It wasn't done right after it was towed or right after it was identified as belonging to this now missing person.
0: Well, because state highway patrol sees abandoned cars all the time, hundreds and hundreds of of them a day and so this is typical procedure we're going to take the car we're going to give them uh, a day for the owner to come move it all oh, they don't move it we're going to tow it now we're going to figure out who owns this vehicle now we got to contact somebody that is connected to them so it is a process and i and i know with a lot of these missing person cases you know like mara murray and stuff where people go law enforcement didn't do enough well if they could go back in time and and if, if somebody would have told them, hey, you need to uh, really do your due diligence and look for evidence in this vehicle because this person will be missing for the next 20 or 30 years. But an abandoned car just becomes very routine for law enforcement.
2: And you're right, Captain. That is absolutely the case, especially in a case like Mara Murray's where she is not reported missing for several days. But in this case, it's quite a bit different because— the vehicle's towed at 2 p.m. She's reported missing at 7 p.m. and identified as the owner and driver of the vehicle that was towed. So, yeah, it takes some time for those things to work their way through the system, but they had all the information Illinois State Police did at that time that night, and it wasn't fingerprinted that night. Now, when the vehicle was eventually searched, we learned that Tammy's leather bag The money, any money that she was carrying, credit cards, and a Canon EOS camera were all missing from the vehicle. So either she took those with her or somebody else took those from her. On Monday, August 31st, investigators announced that they were looking for a white five-axle semi-tractor trailer with two brownish diagonal stripes on both the tractor and trailer. They say that drive-by witnesses reported seeing the truck and its driver near mile marker 83 on Interstate 80 on August 23rd, roughly between 3 and 4 p.m. And a man was seen with the semi truck as well. And that man is described as a white male, about six feet tall, with bushy, dark hair. The man appeared to be talking to a young blonde woman who resembled Tammy, our missing person. The two were standing by her car, apparently checking something under the hood, according to some of these witnesses. Illinois State Police Lieutenant Harold Brignadello said of the man, he is the last person we know who may have talked to her. He's not a suspect. We just want to talk to him. Now, of course, with this announcement, Captain, leads are flowing in. This is when we get about 60 people reporting that they saw Tammy on the side of the interstate between 3 and 4 p.m. on that Sunday afternoon. The hood of her car was up. Some reported seeing a green Datsun pickup parked behind her vehicle. Another described a tractor trailer truck with stripes down the side of the trailer. But again, Over 20 vehicle types were reported as being seen parked at that general location and that general time, which really confuses matters quite a bit. Later, police would say that we had all of these reports of people seeing other vehicles stop there on the side of Interstate 80, but we didn't have anyone coming forward saying that they were somebody that actually stopped mm-hmm. to help Tammy or somebody that comes forward and says they, they stopped and spoke with her.
0: Right. And just think about the distance that she was covering that day, over 200 and some miles. If somebody stopped to help her that was traveling a distance like that, they could be two to 300 miles away when cops are looking for answers.
2: Nine days after Tammy disappears, this is on Tuesday, September 1st, A man driving on Interstate 44, this is in Missouri, in the state of Missouri. This is 490 miles from where Tammy was last seen. This man was driving for his work that day, and he stopped because he was concerned that his tools in the back of his truck were getting wet. It was raining fairly heavily at this time when he stops. While stopped, he noticed something wrapped in a blanket, secured on both ends with duct tape. It was about 14 feet from the edge of the roadway. He said there was a foul odor. The man is 37-year-old Lonnie DeMont. He said, quote, I was finished and was coming around to the front of the truck when I smelled the odor. I looked right and saw the blanket in the grass just from the shape of it. I could tell it was a body. So DeMont drove to a nearby highway patrol station. And tells them what he witnessed. Then he returns to the scene with an officer. They made a small cut in the blanket and saw a human leg. The body, which was lying face up on a grassy slope, again, about 14 feet from the pavement, had been wrapped tightly in a white twin size sheet and a dull red blanket. Silver duct tape closed off both ends. So somebody, unfortunately, wrapped up this package nice and neat, almost like a a large burrito here on the side. And I'm I'm guessing by our witnesses statements here, I can visualize this and agree with the size and the shape that unfortunately what we're looking at here is probably a bottle. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, Never Frozen meals are dietitian approved Head to Factormeals.com slash True Crime Garage 50 and use code True Crime Garage 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code True crime Garage 50 at Factormeals.com slash True Crime Garage 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active.
0: All right, we are back. Cheers, mates. Cheers. Cheers to you, Colonel. Now, they're not going to be able to identify this body right away.
2: Right. Unfortunately, it's going to take dental records that would soon tell detectives that this was, in fact, the body of their missing college student, Tammy Zawicki. Tammy was wearing an East Side Eagles T-shirt and shorts that had a Greenville County Recreation Soccer League logo on it. Important to note, really kind of a bizarre fact of this case. These are not the clothes that she had on when she left Evanston. Remember, we have our witnesses there, her friend, her brother, that saw her right before she left. She also had on lacy panties and a brawl embroidered with the word love. And the brassiere was like a nude color or flesh tone. And we have her mother who goes on record, Joanne, stating this is not anything that Tammy would have picked out for herself or purchased for herself to her knowledge. So, so
0: go ahead. So it leans towards this idea that maybe a perpetrator uh, abducts her or tricks her into getting, hey, get into my vehicle. I'll take you down to the gas station. Well, now once I get you in the vehicle, I can control you. And then he puts her in a situation where he says you need to put on this outfit or you need to put on this lingerie
2: or whatever. That seems like the situation, but keep in mind the East side Eagles t-shirt and the shorts with the Greenville County recreational soccer league logo on them. Those, those two items belong to her. She just wasn't wearing those according to our witnesses when she left just a few hours earlier. But yeah, you're right with the undergarments. This, according to her family, they're saying these were, we don't believe these to be hers, and we believe whoever abducted her made her wear these for whatever reason at some point. Now, the Lawrence County coroner, his name is Don Lakin, had performed the first examination of what was initially described as a shoeless, badly decomposed body. And he states in his early report, it appeared to be a white female, approximately 16 to 24 years of age. She was clothed in a blue T-shirt with East Side Eagles Soccer 1989 printed in white lettering on the front and had a pair of faded blue cutoff sweatpants, athletic socks. Uh, That is the description of her clothing. Some of the more grim Findings from our coroner here are seven puncture wounds made by a sharp instrument no more than a half inch wide. These were found in the upper chest area. The weapon had penetrated the lungs, liver, and pericardial sac around the heart. The victim's right bicep was also punctured, possibly due to a struggle, or maybe she went to defend herself or block the knife with her hand or arm and received the puncture to the right bicep. Right. A bruise-like discoloration appeared on the right side of her neck. Interesting. And then a quote from the coroner says, the odd part was she didn't appear to have any blood, just some body fluids on the sheet and blanket from the decomposition. End quote. He estimated that the body had been out in the sun for, Four, maybe five days. All right, so let's take some inventory of the situation here, shall we? Our victim has been stabbed seven times. Six times in a circular pattern around her heart and once in her right arm. The knife used was small per the report. Most likely a pen knife is what experts have said. And I've reviewed conflicting reports on the amount of defensive wounds Some say that she put up quite a struggle. Others say that there was a surprising lack of defensive wounds. I'm not 100% sure why the discrepancy in this description.
0: Well, hopefully she was able to rip this son of a bitch's testicles out. But discrepancies like this make it hard to examine the case.
2: Yeah, and it sounds to me like they've done a couple of examinations, so maybe they had other findings later, but again we can only report to you what we have viewed and read ourselves and from the prior information in that report the other thing that really sucks here for any type of investigation is we don't get a good idea of when she was killed or where right we're we're simply told that he estimated that she had been out in the sun for four or maybe five days well it was 9 days later from the time that she was, we can just say abducted. We don't have to keep saying disappeared or went missing. It's obvious at this point that she's been abducted by somebody and had to have been abducted on that day that her vehicle broke down. So it's nine days later when the body is found. And if our coroner is suggesting that it's four or five days out in the sun, I think he's kind of ballparking it here, Captain. I don't think he's, you know, giving us, uh, I don't think that's a really a window of time that we should be... Mm-hmm really anchored to here in our investigation. Right. But it does sound to me unfortunately like there was a possibility that she may have been held somewhere for a period of time and obviously they're stating she wasn't killed on the side of the road there everything points to she's been killed elsewhere and then somebody pulls up and dumps the body there 14 feet from the edge of the road on this off ramp.
0: A lot of killers will take their victims back to their home and then torture them at their home. and then once they kill the victim, they they dump the victim. But some of these truck drivers they can just they can use their truck as their little torture chamber, and when they're done with their victim, they can then just dump them on the side of the road.
2: Well, and one of the serial killers that we started off talking about last week. Keep in mind, he had a partner for some of his murders. He had his girlfriend riding shotgun with him. So in that situation, you have somebody that is there to help you control your victim while you're still traveling. And keep in mind, too, we also have to factor in the distance between where we know she was last seen and where the body is eventually found nine days later. It's, what did we say, Captain, 490 miles? Yeah. That's at 60 mile an hour, that's over eight hours of driving. We love math. Right there. So we have at least one day in some kind of vehicle transporting the body. Right. Regardless of the situation. And she may have been sitting out there. Her body may have been on that roadside. For the entirety of those four or five days, as the coroner was stating that she had been out in the sun, doesn't mean that she had to have been there in that location. But he's saying she's been out in the sun and she may have been there that entire time. The other thing, too, and we're going to keep going back to this a couple of times because it's worth really exploring and and parsing out as much as we possibly can here. Mm hmm. We have several reports of a bunch of sightings of such vehicles near mile marker 83, where Tammy was the last time uh, she was seen or believed to have been seen alive. This again, nine days before her body was discovered, almost 500 miles away. We have all of those sightings. We have all of those eyewitnesses, but apparently no one saw whoever left Tammy's body on the side of the road.
0: Right. But again, a semi-truck or a truck or a car being on the side of the road for five minutes is not that unusual. It's not going to be something that just sticks out like a sore thumb.
2: And if you're doing anything in the middle of the night, I don't know that anybody driving by is going to be very suspicious. Because a
0: lot of truck drivers will pull over on the side of the road to sleep.
2: Correct. And that probably
0: was more likely in the early nineties than today.
2: Well, and think about how much of your, you only need to do limited activity to get the bo- body from a vehicle to this location on the side of the off ramp. Well, you're saying
0: she's about 120 pounds. She's not that heavy.
2: Well, and regardless, you're carrying her 14 feet. And what I, what I'm pointing out here is if you have a small vehicle, that's one thing. But if you have a tractor trailer, that is, offers a decent amount of concealment, too, for what you are doing in that limited amount of time that you need to be doing
0: it. Yeah, that's an excellent point.
2: Now, so this is a week later after the body's found. This takes us to Tuesday, September 8th. Tammy Zawicki was laid to rest following a casket-closed ceremony and a mass at a Catholic church in Newton, Pennsylvania. Now, by the time that Tammy was buried, the hunt for her killer had sparked nationwide interest this especially after America's Most Wanted aired a spot announcement on her disappearance that's what prompted a flood of tips about the truck with the diagonal stripes and logo that are now being phoned into the investigators and because her death involved an abduction across state lines remember she was believed to be abducted in illinois she's found in missouri we have the fbi agents uh the fbi and agents from the fbi that will join the 14 illinois state police investigators working with also the missouri authorities on the case right at the beginning of the investigation the zwickies criticized the police for treating Tammy's disappearance or how they treated her disappearance initially as though she were a runaway. And this is this is one of those things we've reviewed this stuff and seen this in other cases too. It's just incredibly disappointing. It's a real gut punch every single time. But we're going to we're going to stay on this for just a minute here because I have a big issue with this one. Okay. Look, w- Captain, and I agree. You get like a, a victim or somebody that's missing that's the age like twelve Tired or up. under, thirteen and under, and the cops look at you and say, "Well, mm. they probably ran away." And you you look at them cross-eyed, going, "Are you kidding me? They're too young to run away." What the? Now fuck? maybe with 16, 17 year seventeen-year-old, maybe if you have some kind of delinquent juvenile, I get that situation. Mm-hmm. But what their response was, what the Illinois State Police response was, this. Mm. She's probably off with a boyfriend somewhere. Oh, no, no, To which the parents inform the police she does not have a boyfriend. To which then they were told, well, she's probably off with one of her guy friends somewhere. She'll turn up.
0: This is why you don't assume because you make an ass out of you and me. You know, you shouldn't, especially in an investigation, you're just going to assume, oh, she's probably off with a boyfriend or something. That that's ridiculous. That's like you always say, lazy or stupid. And and I think that's both.
2: Well, here's the thing, too. I, I worry that just the wrong lazy or stupid or both person answered the phone that day, because you got to believe that there's plenty of good officers, men and women in the Illinois State Police today, especially today, but even back then as well. And This is just really a black eye for the entire department when you have somebody who gives this type of response, because you should take into account and factor in the character of the individual that is being reported missing and the circumstances surrounding that disappearance. Right. So yeah, or
0: where she went missing from. She's not going missing from a location that she has a huge history, a big background.
2: No, she's driving through number 1 and number 2. You find her vehicle on the side of the interstate. That's that's alarming in itself without even having a missing persons report. I and- mean,
0: think about this bullshit. Like let's say I'm I'm from Ohio and you find my car in West Virginia and they just then assume, well we don't know exactly where he was going or where he was heading, uh but but he probably was off with a girlfriend. What? there's no evidence of this you you have no evidence that i i even know anybody in the area it's this
2: well and that's not even taking into account your character and what what i'm trying to bring up here with Tammy is we are talking about a 21 year old woman young woman who is on scholarship at a private college right this isn't somebody that just willy-nilly Decides not to show up one day or just goes
0: cut of her jib.
2: right? That just decides, Oh, I'm going to smoke a bunch of pot and ride shotgun and chase the sun for three or four days. No, that's not the type of person that she is.
0: There's nothing wrong with smoking pot and chasing the sun.
2: And so what I'm also disappointed in is let's go back to something that we've already covered that I believe is key in a, in a, in a second black eye on Illinois state police here. The coroner says that her body was out in the sun for four, maybe five days. She's missing for nine before the body's located. If you had taken this report, this missing persons report seriously, there's a chance you could have gotten to her while she was still alive. We don't know that for certain because we don't have the scientific facts to back that statement up, but we can base it off of the information that's been reported that there was a possibility that you had a couple of days to find her. And instead, your answer is well, she's probably off with some guy friend somewhere. Up to no good, mom and dad. Don't worry. She'll turn up in a couple of days.
0: Well, and the detail that you brought up earlier that keeps swirling around my head is this idea that she was in clothes that her parents state belonged to her, but in undergarments that they don't believe are connected to their daughter.
2: They don't believe she owned those undergarments. I mean, just can't say with 100% certainty, we can only base it off of what the family has said, but this is not something that they've wavered on over the years. They've said this from the time that she was found until today, that we don't believe that those were hers. We have no reason to believe that they belong to her. So we have a task force, if you want to call it that, if you will, right? That we have the Illinois State Police involved, we have Missouri authorities, and we have FBI agents all involved. Now, the Zawikis over the years have pointed out that, especially in the early stages of this case, this investigation, they didn't feel like the communication between those three agencies or, or however many agencies were involved In this was great. They don't think the communication was great, that there may have been some infighting or or at the very least not sharing of information. And we have said time and time again that the two of the best weapons that we have in fending off serial offenders these days is that we apprehend them faster right we have less serial killers with numbers as high as 20 30 40 people right. because they're getting caught simply after one or two victims and a lot of that is based off of two factors two major key factors one technology and two communication between all of these law enforcement agencies now the highway the FBI's highway serial killer initiative and vicap and things like that are all key pieces in opening up those lines of communication and kicking off the conversations, keeping the information flowing and getting to the right people. Now, one thing I will say that is of good work in Tammy's case is she is on several databases, which is really to me, the start of, of any of this type of investigation that. First thing I do when when we take a look at a case for Porchlight, and it's a cold case, the first thing I look at is what databases is our victim on, or in most cases, what what databases should they be on? And in Tammy's case, if you look her up, she's on several databases, a couple that come to mind. Of course, we've already mentioned the FBI's website. She's on the Seeking Information category and right. probably some others. And we also have her on the Iowa cold cases, uh, database and probably some more. I, I hope, um, because those are tools, those are tools for not only solving these cases and bringing justice for our victims and their families and their friends, but also tools for us to keep the public safe by getting these monsters off of the streets out of our communities, and in this case, off of our nation's interstates and highways.
0: Yeah, because any young female that has broken down on the side of the road or pulled over on the side of the road is a potential victim for one of these monsters.
2: When you read about cases like this and about some of the other cases that we've covered in the last couple weeks, going back to to Sam Little and last week's cases, but Tammy's especially— It's when it makes you want to just fall to your knees and thank God that we have cell phones these days because I I would guess and I would hope that Tammy's situation would have been that much different, that much better if she would have had some ability to communicate with somebody else or call for help. Now, on the better side of the investigation, Captain, we do know that when they were working the case, they worked the case quite hard. uh, As far as I can tell, there were men from all over the country that were looked at as possible suspects, many of them truckers. Persons of interest included men from as far away as Tampa, Florida, Humboldt County, California, and Nashville, Tennessee. Now, I'm going to circle back another time to what I believe is one of the key elements in this case and is really, it's it's sad that so little came of this because in any case as a detective, you would think having so many potential witnesses would be a godsend. So in review and with a little more detail, in the early weeks of the investigation, more than 60 drive-by witnesses, six zero drive-by witnesses reported having seen Tammy on August 23rd. Right. Altogether, they claim to have seen 26 different types of vehicles, this including cars, motorcycles, and vans and trucks that stopped to help her with men and women at different times, apparently offering her assistance. Remarkably, none of the people who stopped has ever come forward to notify police of their encounter with Tammy. Quote, we can't explain it, FBI agent Bob Long said. Quote, except that maybe these people still don't know about the case or they're afraid to get involved. Pointed out there that the FBI is concerned that maybe people have not heard of this case or for some reason they would be afraid of coming forward. Look, it's been all of these years later and nobody is going to fault you for calling in a tip or information today. Today is the day. Make it happen. If you know something, say something, report it. If you have any information, keep in mind there is a $50,000 reward for information leading to the identification of the individual or individuals responsible for the murder of Tammy Jozewicki. And the FBI would like for anyone with information to contact their local FBI office or the nearest American embassy or consulate.
0: So much more to get to. We want to hear your thoughts on the blog at truecrimegarage.com. Join us back here tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. And until then,
2: be good, be kind, and don't litter.